You are listening to the Film Comment Podcast from the Cannes Film Festival. Over the next week, Editor-in-Chief Nicholas Rapold and a variety of guests will be discussing the highs and lows of the most famous film event in the world. On today's edition, Onkin Glanovic's The Road, Luis Ortega's Angel, and Camille Vidal-Niquet's Sauvage. But first, here's a few words from our sponsors. This episode of the Film Comment Podcast is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Each day, Mubi introduces a new gem, and you have one month to watch it. From timeless masterpieces to festival fresh darlings, every film is hand-selected. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash filmcomment. That's mubi.com slash filmcomment for your extended free trial. Autograph Collection Hotels are carefully chosen for their unique design, passion for craft, and an inherent connection to the locale. Each hotel has its own exactly-like-nothing-else story to tell. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Comment Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber. Presenting Jean-Paul Sivarach's A Paris Education. Shot in lush black and white, the story of a young cinephile who moves to Paris for film school is an ode to the heady days of student life. In theaters starting August 31st. Uh, hello, welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comment, and I'm here at the Cannes Film Festival for another Cannes podcast, which would it's good because if I were doing a podcast about another festival, it would be very awkward. Uh, but fortunately, it's about Khan, and fortunately, uh, we're going strong into the weekend. Uh, and I'm very happy to be joined here at the Palais by... Eric Hines, curator of film at Museum of the Moving Image and a film comment columnist. And... Christina Newland, a freelance film writer for Sight and Sound and a few other publications, Little White Lies as well. Uh, yeah, we're very happy to have Christina on. Uh, one of the pleasures of being at Cannes or Toronto or other festivals is that you get to meet critics that you have only read uh, their work. Uh, and so that's sort of a good ideal of a, of a festival. You get to bring people from yeah. all over the world together. We're starting on a very utopian note, which I guess is good. Um, and what's screened <laughs> today? Yesterday we, we talked uh, about Godard and, and the new Zhajanke film, and also Cold War, the Pavel Pavlikovsky film. So that was a very dense uh, podcast. Today we might start with a couple of smaller films, uh, smaller only in the sense that maybe they're not, you know, they're not in competition, for one thing, and they're not, you know, don't come with some huge reputation preceding them. So shall we start perhaps with The Load? Oh, sure, The Load. Okay. Nick and I saw this morning, and let's see, so The Load is a Serbian film by the filmmaker, um, and I've, I know his work, but I'm very, very bad at pronouncing his name, and I've had people wince at me when I've tried to pronounce it, but it's Ogden Glavonovic. I feel that sounds terrific to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he, I'm just gonna, we're gonna, I'm yeah, gonna give, give the context. Well, yeah. first, gonna give a context the fact that we're back on the roof. Oh, that's I feel like right. We've got some honking horns and other ambient noises that may invade into the space yeah, of this you, podcast. You might hear ambulances on the way to emergencies, 
you know, motorcades on the way to political events. Or there's a wedding. There was a wedding. There's wedding ceremony. There was a wedding ceremony, and the tradition yeah. here is to honk, honk the, horn the horns incessantly. Went by our flat. Yeah. That, yeah. that, 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 there that was actually. Some kind of really terrible traffic accidents. <laughs> I know. Oh. Yeah. No. It's. Oh. It's a wedding right now, apparently. Oh really? Well, um, actually, that happens in the load as well. There is indeed. So it's a pan-European tradition. It apparently. is a pan-European <laughs> tradition. So the load. Uh, so so Ogden made uh, a documentary two years ago um, called Depth 2 um, and it is a documentary about the same subject basically that his this narrative film The Load is about and uh, it is and as he said today at the Q&A it is a film that he originally intended to make this narrative film first and had written a script about it um, and had trouble getting financing for it for various reasons which would become apparent once you hear a little of the description and so once he had a snag in that way he then proceeded to make a documentary about the same subject which became a lot deeper into this incident and in the process of making that documentary reinformed the script that he had written and kind of tweaked the script to go in a diff- somewhat different direction. Um, so it is about, there's probably more information here, and there definitely is more information than I'm going to give about this about this incident than is pre- supplied by the film because it's very withholding of that information. So let's stick to the film, actually. Um, the documentary provides the a lot more information, but feature, the feature yeah. narrative mm-hmm. film that we just saw is very simply a driver is given a lorry um, filled with cargo, and the lorry is locked. Um, that's that's truck for American listeners. Just I don't I'm know with why. Christina, we know this language. Okay, <laughs> I still say truck. Do you? Mm-hmm. This, this yeah. came up last night when I kept on having to say soccer or football for our British. Yeah, I listeners. go back and forth between yeah. them. I just like lorry. Sorry, <laughs> it's, um, it's yeah, it sounds kind of cute. I also has some friends growing up named Lori. Oh. So the truck is locked, closed, um, and he does the driver. The whole the, the nature of his work is that he doesn't know what's in that uh, what's in the truck, and he has to drive it to a destination. This, of course, uh, the most important thing is this is set in 1999 in Serbia. The war is ongoing. Um, uh, their bombings have begun by NATO. Uh, and so this drive this driver who's not a driver by trade has taken to making some extra money doing these these missions but the, the deal is that he doesn't know what's in the cargo or so what's in the what's in the back of the truck and it's that's basically the film is him driving from the beginning point to the end point where he drops off that cargo and then has to drive the the, the, the truck back and we have an, a scene with his family when he gets back home that's pretty much what happens in the film um what's around the edges of it of course is the war what's around the edges of it is what it's like living in this in these conditions and also around the edges of it, of it is what is never truly revealed that is in the and also around the edges or is what is in the back of that truck which it's pretty you can figure that out as you go maybe but the film really never explicitly says what is in that truck what i think is useful about that within the film beyond just withholding that from the audience is the fact that nobody involved either the driver or anybody he comes into contact who might suspect what's in there really wants to deal with it. Nobody wants to deal with what that entails. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I definitely thought it was effective that they don't reveal what's, what's, what's in the truck, you know, definitively, uh, because then you just kind of have this, this open or closed secret that everyone's carrying around, this 
kind of symbol of like complicity and just symbol of the whole psychological mess <laughs> as well as legal mess, I guess, behind a, a you know, w civil war, basically, right. that you carry around with you on your back. It's almost like he has it on, on his back the whole time. Uh, you know, and it's also one of these like very compa compact kind of trucks that's just like, just like this square thing that's yeah. just, you know, bumping down the road, um, you know, kind of echoes of wages of fear a little yeah. bit just in that because you don't know what's in there. Mm -hmm. I also in the back of my mind was a little afraid that it would get hit by one of the NATO bombs because it was maybe a military target or it would tip over and, you know, blow up because it was filled with, you know, munitions or something like that. Yeah. Um, or prisoners or who, you know, you didn't know, have any idea what it yeah. could be. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that unknown is there. And uh, there's also a generational thing going on where he picks mm -hmm. up a hitchhiker who's a young 19 year old, um, which opens him up. You think we're never going to get a chance to hear him say anything, but he lets loose a little bit that he has a son himself. And um, we keep encountering people along the way. We inevitably mostly encounter children or young mm -hmm. people, which you can deduce that their fathers are fighting somewhere or have been killed or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so there's a real sense of bewilderment and readjustment on the point of, of, of young people. Um, I think is a common common theme there. Yeah, there's there's yeah there's you always get a sense of when uh, of of people and places marked by history in some way, and and that comes across you know on on a big and little levels. You know, you know the 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 main guy, the driver, carries a little um, lighter that his his father gave to him, which is a memento from World War Two, mm -hmm. um, and you know then at one point there's a monument to I think at that same. I think it's related to the to the same place that's commemorated mm -hmm. on the lighter, uh, and then just all these kind of blanking on other little details that that let you know how regular life is is affected, um, or even like the notion of what is really regular life. What is regular life? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's a moment where he stops at re I guess effectively a rest stop to mm -hmm. um, get a drink and make a phone call and. Uh, descending upon it while he's on the phone is a wedding party where they're honking horns <laughs> and there's that moment where you're like is he gonna die is right. this actually the army showing up what is this and obviously it's a relatively common occurrence on whatever day maybe it's a weekend even we don't even we wouldn't even know right yeah. um and yet somehow it's the air is fraught yeah and and also because of the nature of the civil war i i you know i'm i'm ignorant about the you know the breakdown of what's where in Yugoslavia and I don't know how much ground he's covered but you also I never was absolutely sure that every person he was going to encounter was yeah. going to be on his side right um, especially in during war everything breaks down anyway so yeah. you're just you don't you know it's like an apocalyptic movie where everyone every man for himself and a little bit but it's not that way in, in the movie basically but you don't know it's always you don't know when it might be or might, might not be. Like at one point, a bridge is just gone, <laughs> right? And that changes the, the, the path of the whole story. And he just has to take it in stride. Um, and he he's kind of an interesting counterpart to the to the quiet brutality of his scenario because he seems like you know basically kind of pretty sensitive dad and is just doing what he has to to make some money. And you know every little extra detail you get about him. You think, oh, this is basically a decent guy. Of course, he's carrying this cargo, and you don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But he's basically, and I think that's on purpose. Sure. Yeah. 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 Totally. Does it work as a kind of like road movie, like with road movie conventions? Mm. It's interesting. 
I think it is definitely. Yeah. I think one of the ways that it, it does work within this, that convention is we have like a hitchhiker. We have a you know a character shows up and is part of the drive for a while and then leaves. Um, and he also does this really interesting thing, which you don't normally get. I mean, there's both the conventions of the road movie of having a lot of in- interior car shots and looking through the windshield and that kind of thing. Um, but then we have these little moments where we encounter somebody. And we get back in the car, but before we get back in the car and drive, we actually follow that character for a few minutes at a time and have some evidence of what they do next or what their life might be like, just little windows into it, um, which I think is something that a, a, a road movie could allow for, but is not conventional yeah. approach. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, the, the way the camera will sometimes drift away is... is, is uh it's it's a little always a little unnerving because you don't know where it's gonna head. Usually, it's just sort of tracking along with the perspective of someone else. Uh, you know, a couple of kids who are fooling around. You know, with <laughs> fire. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, you, you don't know where it's gonna go. And he does the taxi driver payphone shot. He does. He does. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, so there's that, which was a little distracting, but I don't know, not inconsistent with the, the rest of the movements. No, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. So that, I mean, that's the load, yeah. basically, and that's in the director's fortnight in the Kanzan. While we're here reporting from the Croissette, those who aren't with us can still enjoy the films of Cannes. Mubi is presenting a fantastic lineup of favorites from past years at the festival. Now showing on Mubi is... Suleiman Sisse's Brightness, an epic tale of myth and magic, yet also a profound present-day political allegory. Brightness won the jury prize at the festival in 1987. Discover this along with 29 other hand-picked films streaming right now on Mubi for free. Just go to mubi.com slash to claim your extended 30-day free trial. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and autograph collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations? Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Common Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Paul Sivarac's A Paris Education. Shot in black and white, the film tells the story of a young cinephile who moves to Paris for film school. The Hollywood Reporter says it, quote, brings to mind how some of the best French movies, especially those of the new wave, are marked by both an intense love of film and the fiery passions of youth, end quote. An official selection of Rendezvous with French Cinema, a Paris education opens August 31st at the Film Society of Lincoln Center before expanding to select cities. That was sort of the kickoff for this morning, unless you saw uh, the Godard, for example. Otherwise, we can talk about... Christina, not to talk about you, but talk about what, <laughs> what we, we can talk about. Christina. But what, what, what's this film that you saw today? Uh, Louis Ortega's The Angel, uh, which is about a, a notorious Argentinian serial killer, one of the most kind of well-known. And I think it really sets itself up in a way that's interesting uh, because you don't, 
it has none of the conventions or expectations around that. Um, it's got really kind of sun-dappled, um, you know, nice primary color mm-hmm. uh, aesthetic about it. And there's a really like poppy vintage soundtrack. Um, and you've got these very attractive lead characters. And uh, that's kind of where the, the title uh, comes from. It's the nickname of this, this, this kid who was 17 or 18 when he started robbing houses and, um, and shooting people point blank mm. in cold blood. And uh, he ended up killing about 11 or 12 people before Jeez. he was apprehended. Um, but he came from a relatively comfortable middle-class family, quite nice, decent parents. And uh, the film works, I think, in a, in, a really, in a really interesting way in terms of, you know, if you weren't aware of the fact that it's about this notorious figure, you know, you're, you're watching this film and it, uh, it feels like a, in some ways, quite a traditional crime film. Uh, and the, the lead actor in it is, is uh, his name is it's Lorenzo Ferro, I think his name is. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's really fantastic in it. Uh, and he really looks like this, this killer um, called Carlos. Uh, he's got this kind of like mop of blonde ringlets and this kind of very um, pretty profile. Um, he's slender and he knows how to play it. He knows um, you know, exactly how to turn on his innocence and turn on his charm. Um, and he comes across at school, actually, a slightly older uh, boy who comes from a family of thieves uh, called Ramon, and the two of them become kind of partners in crime. And the relationship between them in the film is really, really interesting because um, there's this really thwarted kind of um, eroticism between them and uh, quite a deep love in, in a lot of ways and quite tenderness uh, that's there, um, but it's never really consummated or acted upon. Mm-hmm. And that has very, very dire consequences mm. uh, for, the, for the central characters mm-hmm. as well. Does it play as, as genre or not? I'm to f- some extent, I think, yeah. I think t- in the first half of the film, it seems like a, I don't know if I go so far as to say heist, but, uh, you know, about bank robbers. And, but then there are these, these kind of moments where, a really, really fantastic one where they're in a jewelry shop. And because the central character, Carlos, has no fear at all. He's quite happy to spend as much time as possible in these places. And he's, uh, you know, he's saying to his friend, uh, take your time, enjoy it, enjoy life a little bit. We're in the middle of a jewelry heist. <laughs> this is not the time to, um, you know, stretch it out. Smell the roses. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that it plays with those conventions, but it's, I think ultimately, I mean, I think there are, there's room for criticism in that, uh, it being quite glib about, you know, these young, attractive, hip, psychopaths and I, I saw it get a little bit of flack online for that but um i think that it's it works it, it's very humorous and it works in a really kind of it's not overly guiding the audience in that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean i confess I, i'm i'm on record as of a few days ago uh, about being like somewhat of a skeptic of movies about like serial killers or the 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 kind of attraction to, to making them or that that uh, directors often have because it it it, uh, it it they're just such a they're kind of this controlled environment to experiment with style and I don't know just kind of show off your stringency about character and there's kind of there there's built in uh, there's a built in dynamic of he's horrible but he's human and then th- that you, you kind of play with that so like the Lars von Trier I'm a little wary of this one I actually uh, I. Didn't really recall that it was it was about a a killer, but I I don't know how it fits in with with that or or something like this makes me think of I don't know a Pablo Larraín 
character a little bit, you know, just uh, a kind of sociopath, basically. I mean, some of what you say, I think, is it might be true of it that it is being used, and I suppose there are a lot of there are a lot of things about the case that make it attractive because it goes from house robbery to. Uh, you know, increasingly nasty, kind of, in the end, I don't feel like this is a spoiler. <laughs> um, I feel like <laughs> this is a, just a, a gruesome detail, but uh, he, he just kind of gets out of sheer kind of, um, like, cold, detached cruelty to, like, he, he's killed someone and decides to, like, kind of melt their face with a blowtorch, mm. uh, which is not, sh- you know, it's not shown on screen, but at that point he's then caught. Um, <laughs> he's caught wild. Melting uh, the face? Uh, not or? long after. Oh, not long after. <laughs> well, that, that gives me some hope in the world. <laughs> that thing doesn't go unpunished. <laughs> but the, um, the director's comic timing, I think, is really good. He knows exactly when to cut. The moment where he's on the phone with his mother uh, and, you know, things are looking dire for him. And, uh, and he's like, oh, mom, you sound weird. You know, so she's in close-up, and then there's a cut to her, her entire small home full of military police. And, you know, everyone point blanks <laughs> listening to the phone call. Yeah, I mean, I get, yeah, there, there must be some room for that kind of, you know, dark humor, especially for a country that lived through something like that, you know, just the absurdity. But it, the, I'm, I'm trying to remember now, what is, is it, wasn't there the Klan? Wasn't that? The Klan was Argentine as well? Argentine as well, and it was kind of a story about a family of, of criminals, right, wasn't it? That was also underneath everyone's noses. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like a recurring yeah. thing of something awful in happening the, under your nose. Normality of yeah, family normality life. between yeah. Chile and Ar- Argentina. I was not a massive fan of that film, actually. Yeah, me, me neither. It was a little something. Was it a little comic booky or something about it? I don't know. And that was in what section it's was that one in? Certain regard, I think. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. certain regard. Which is always an interesting section because. I mean, it's kind of unpredictable. It's 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 so willfully picking directors that, that you haven't always heard of. So it's it's kind of interesting in that way. I just left a movie, which since I didn't really see all of it, I, I won't name it. But I yeah, that was one gamble that didn't pay off <laughs> so far. But you have to do of necessity sometimes. I think I struggle. I mean, I th- I think you're right, but I I go back and forth on whether or not I. Feel how I feel about it because yeah I feel like in some ways it's precious time here and I need to be able to see something else if I know that I'm not responding to something but then I feel like as soon as I leave like like just now I can't really comment on it yeah um, yeah so I find that unfortunate um, but I think as we do have to make those choices yeah but well, the other thing is you spend like an hour to get into to the thing yeah, the idea of true, leaving yeah. you feel like you just invested yeah, yeah. some time in it well ditch responsibly I guess to, to, <laughs> to paraphrase the uh, yeah, drinking warning um, would it be too off piece for me to ask you guys because I'm just curious like yeah. have, have you ever walked out of something not for time saving purposes but because you genuinely just did not like could no longer stand to be there yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't think off the top of my head, but there's definitely, definitely walked out of things that was that I was, if, if I didn't have to write about it, uh, and it was yeah, just really so bad, and and yeah, I, I've definitely done that. I can't think of any nothing this year. Um, I can't think of anything. I, ge- I generally don't. Mm. Um, I would hear when I feel that I need to see as much as I can and if something is just bothering me so much and I can deal with the fact that I'm not going to publicly say anything about it then I would yeah. but generally I don't either yeah. because of just the kind of professional idea that I have that I need to watch something through or the idea that like I want to yeah, I want to be able to say something public if something's bothering mm-hmm. me I want to be wanna, able to see it through I yeah, guess yeah, so, yeah. I, so I can weigh in yeah I mean all I can say is that I've definitely seen 
You've heard honking again. <laughs> There's Another person has gotten married. Every either one, time either it's the same one they've been touring the town, or yeah. it's multiple. But it is a Saturday in this time of year, so yeah. I guess that's the way it goes. Every time you hear a honk, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> um, but you're saying? Well, I can definitely say that I have seen movies that I love because I left something that I hated. So, huh. that has happened. That's an argument. Then, that's that's for one it. argument for it. Yeah. Well, um, it's different in this environment, right, where there's an option to see something else. Sure. It's not yeah. just you're seeing one movie that night and yeah. you hate it, so you might as well see it through. But if you could see something else that you'd it's like to see. The fear of it being perceived, particularly at this festival, like it would be my first time here, that you're trying to make a statement or be like being ridiculous and oh, trying to, you know, that right. kind of weird thing yeah, as well. Stalking leaving. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out. Everything gets magnified around yeah. here. Like, oh, there were walkouts, there were booze. Right. You know? yeah. yeah, it's true. Yeah. Which is always pretty yeah. ridiculous because the booze are usually pretty conservative booze so they're not I, I don't always regard them as okay. so you know it happens um, well, <laughs> but moving right along um, let's talk about another uh, another film I like giving attention to films that aren't like whatever Von Trier or Spike Lee or something that you're already going to hear you know over and over and over and over about another one would be Sauvage which was in Critic Critics Week, Week. Um, who wants to take a crack at Something, something Shall I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought that from the moment that it begun, it was really a compelling film. It opens, I should say what it's about. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's about a, it's a French drama about a, a young male prostitute who uh, is increasingly kind of, his health is failing. Um, even though he's only 22, he has a lung infection and he addicted to crack and yeah, it's, it's all, it's all looking a bit grim for him. Uh, but, uh, from the moment it opens, it's this whole scene where he's at, in a doctor's office or you, you know, you feel as though he's in a doctor's office and then there's a, a um, a surprise at the beginning, which is very, I think, really funny and very mm -hmm. like, great, novel way of starting a film about the subject matter. But I think what was stand out for me, aside from the fact that there aren't, aren't very many films about male prostitution that I, uh, I can think of that aren't American Gigolo, which is a very different thing altogether. Right, uh, right. But also just the fact that it doesn't take that bleak subject matter in a miserableist kind of, this is going to be an ordeal sort of way. Uh, it really sees the the humor and the situation of this guy. It's, it's almost comical because he has such a poor lack of, um, like such a lack of self-preservation. He just seems incapable mm -hmm. of, um, of looking after himself. Uh, and mm -hmm. even when people try to help him, he you know, makes the same mistakes. Yeah, he's kind of pup, something puppyish about him a bit that he just kind of. Yeah. Um, but you know, he must be a little tough because he's living on the streets yeah. and has survived for years. So there's kind of that dissonance between his appearance, which is very much kind of a, I don't know, fresh, fresh faced, you know, obviously going down a rough road. But uh, yeah, that's also almost why it doesn't feel as uh, miserable as. But then it's also. Anyway, now I'm rambling. Well, I was just going to say that I, I, everything you said about it is why I was optimistic yeah. about it. And I do think that in its third act, it becomes a little bit expected in terms of everything going wrong for him, one after the other. There's kind of a bottom hitting there that felt a bit familiar to me, which and was sort of lacking in humor, the way that the first bits of the film surprised me with. Um, that kind of, there was levity there and it wasn't just we're going towards somebody's bottom this is just simply how he lives and there's a community there and there's relationships and he has strong feelings for somebody who doesn't have those feelings back necessarily and that was relatable even though nothing about his life is is, all, is related like that's all very 
strong beginnings to me but I do think that where it then went felt a little too familiar and where it gets in the very end um, I didn't feel like was much of anywhere at all yeah and then there's also like feelings that I have about it in terms of addiction and the psychology and the emotions all of that goes in I don't it did feel a little undercooked in terms of as realism, as something that actually takes a mode of realistic, it, sure. it's sort of a realist film, and yet there's something very romantic that informs its dramatization and its relationships that their romanticism is fine. There's a bit of, I think there's some romanticism to the filmmaking that I found a little bit off-putting and, diff- and I, I just found it hard to accept because it is in a realist mode. So if you're going to be in a realist mode and you're not going to get into some of why somebody would live this way, why they would... You know, like there's something a little romantic about where we get to um, in terms of his almost addiction to the street that I felt unresolved about by the film. Yeah, oh. and I mean, and, and that really, you know, it, it, it comes up in a, in a scene where, where he's, he's with a social worker slash doctor who you know takes for granted that he wants to get off the drugs and he, right. he's he's just like why or you know <laughs> which is interesting yeah. which is interesting, interesting but then nothing it doesn't go anywhere with that really as you were saying it doesn't really plumb kind of the, right. the depth of, of that and i don't know my big problem was honestly i couldn't really i just felt like the actor couldn't really hold the the, the, the film really i mean he did he didn't i don't know he wasn't able to convey enough depth or, or, or a presence of, or something and he, he you know he has to go through a lot and has to convey history since they don't give you a lot of history and he just isn't really um so able to do it and i don't i don't think it's just that he's maybe partly an underdeveloped person in the sense that he's yeah, almost still a child like he's just a bit dumb <laughs> yeah <laughs> well that's that's i don't know that's what they want to hammer home with the last shot that he's just this kind of state Little of baby. nature um, uh, um, yeah, babe, babe in the woods, literally. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I was a problem. And well, it's and one of those things where I think that that's a script problem too, though. I, mm. I want you to continue talking about the acting, but I do think it's a script problem too, where the fact that we know the answer, oh, we know it's just cause he's a baby. Like he's just a little boy. That's not enough for a character, I think. There needs to be more to that. And there seems a little bit, it seems a little stunted in its writing yeah. in terms of the causes to some of these things. Like, we shouldn't be able to walk away knowing. I, I don't know, you were saying, you were saying something else about that. No, I mean, I don't know, I don't know how much, that, that's also absolutely true. Uh, and I, I agree that it's, it is something to do with the, the script. And it's, it's, it's hard, yeah, it's tremendously difficult. And I mean, that's something that I think you, are constantly unpacking in your head how difficult it is to convey a hardship or life of hardship like sure. that, and especially with and physical ha- deterioration. Yeah, yeah. and sure. and yeah. it seems like such a cruel, <laughs> it seems like such a cruel conundrum of aesthetics that it is so hard to make that feel make make you feel something uh, about that um, in in a, in a I don't know in a in a fresh way, which already sounds like callous or shallow of me it's like you know his his plight was not but uh, but it's also relative because we've had three different responses it's true true. i feel like there's a that that unknowability about it that i mean like i fundamentally cannot understand how someone is that incapable of looking after themselves like i I struggle to but i still i still feel for him totally yeah but i guess this is part of why pasolini is so great (laughs) like a tony like the yeah 
Um, not to compare it to Pasolini. <laughs> That's a little bit of an unfair bar. Why can't yeah, he's first-time filmmaker, I think. Right. Why can't so. they all be Pasolini? Why can't they all be Pasolini? I'm so. always thinking that in my head. Why can't this be Pasolini? He knows what to do with a narrative about rough trade. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But if you got Anna Magnani, it doesn't hurt. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's true. Every, every film could use a bit of Anna Magnani in it. Um, well, so that was Sauvage, and I think that probably winds us to a conclusion now, as we all have to hasten off to our, our next <laughs> next event or next film. Um, I have to go off to three straight Christopher Nolan-related things, and he has no films at Cannes. So <laughs> that's, that's what Christopher Nolan can do to one's festival experience. Enjoy your that's true. <laughs> it's, it sounds like maybe you're in Inception right now, or something, <laughs> of Nolan world. But, so we're going to let All Eric, for the benefit of film comments. Yes, so. absolutely. Um, but... Thank you for listening, uh, and thank you, Christina, and thank you, Eric. Of course, thank you. Thank you. See you guys. Don't forget to check out Brightness, now streaming on Mubi. Claim your extended 30-day free trial at mubi.com slash film comment. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash film comment. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and Autograph Collection hotels. Indie filmmakers and screenwriters tell stories that inspire and connect us. And at Autograph Collection Hotels, storytelling is in our DNA, enabling travelers to connect with each other and places around the world in a memorable way. This dynamic cultural program is anchored in three key programs, screenwriters in residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S. and Canada, a portfolio of beautiful hotels and key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographcollectionhotels.com. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. The Film Common Podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Paul Sivarac's A Paris Education. Shot in black and white, the film tells the story of a young cinephile who moves to Paris for film school. The Hollywood Reporter says it, quote, brings to mind how some of the best French movies, especially those of the new wave, are marked by both an intense love of film and the fiery passions of youth, end quote. An official selection of Rendezvous with French Cinema, a Paris education opens August 31st at the Film Society of Lincoln Center before expanding to select cities.